0: so just feeling yourself arriving and feeling others arriving just enjoying that sense of really feeling feeling you arriving how do we feel one another arriving As you arrive, see if you can arrive into a welcoming space, feeling a sense of being welcomed into our Dharma Hall. The way that when we come into a an actual Dharma hall, like the Dharma hall at Gaia house, we slow down, we slip off our shoes. We maybe walk a little more quietly. We maybe open the door and pass the open door on to the next person coming in this gesture of Acknowledgement and welcoming. And then we find our way to our seat and we maybe take in the surroundings. Take a look at the shrine. Some of us might make a gesture to the, to the Buddha or to the Kuan Yin. We'll just notice the flowers that might be on the shrine, appreciate those. And then we sit down and we make ourselves as comfortable as we can with the imperfection of cushions and bodies and the kit that's available. So just letting yourself do that in your own way as we arrive together this morning. So I really hope that uh, the rhythm of what we're offering is supportive to you or that you're finding a way of dancing with that rhythm that's supporting your practice. I'm certainly feeling a lot of gratitude myself. Uh, Seems to work well for me, this kind of way of structuring the day and uh, really feeling your support for my own practice in doing this. I, I just had a little walk out and unfortunately, fortunately or unfortunately, again, noticing the way that we perceive things, uh, the kind of nearest walk destination to my home is a, a little row of shops with an amazing bakery that has the best doughnuts that I've ever had in my life. And so I end up walking to the donuts quite often. And as I walked there this morning, they had just arrived in the back of a van, and they were still warm. <laughs> and I wish I could have uh, bought a donut for each of you. Even though I'm still sure some of you, that's probably not what agrees with your system. But the thought was there. I just wish, wish we could all be having a donut together. <laughs> <laughs> If you ever visit Oxford, I really recommend this place.
1: <laughs>
0: you have to get there quite early. So this morning, what I'd like to do is share a few reflections on the, the theme of kindness and see how, you know, this is a theme that we we talk about directly and indirectly all the way through our through our retreats and through our teaching but to see what maybe what um what light the reflections that we've been making over the last few days actually might add to our understanding of kindness and our relationship to that quality because I was really struck by the the different pairs of binary things that um, Kirsten named and offered to us that we kind of tend to um, grasp onto one end or the other of the spectrum. And a lot of us have the view maybe that we're not as kind people as we should be or we want to be, or the sense that kindness is, uh, maybe either a quality that we we don't have or we struggle to express. So I've sort of grown up. I mean, I <laughs> say I've grown up. I'm in my mid-50s now, but I'm still growing up. But I, I grew up with the, the feeling of that. Like, I'm not a particularly warm person or even a particularly kind person. If you knew people who knew me when I was a young nun, they would strongly corroborate this. (laughs) Uh, And yet that's just a, a, a mindset and the mindset changes and our experience changes when we don't box ourselves into these things. And I've noticed that when I'm happy, kindness comes naturally and easily. When I'm not happy or when I'm challenged, Kindness feels a bit more of a struggle. And at the same time, when I'm kind, I tend to feel happier. When I'm not kind, I tend to feel unhappy. So there's a kind of vicious or a virtuous feedback loop that happens. And so now, you know, sometimes people say to me, oh, Jaya, you're so kind. Well, you just caught me at a a phase or a moment in life where I'm feeling moderately happy or happy. Yeah. You know, yes, I'm aspiring to cultivate this quality, but it's a cultivation, and and we move backwards and forwards along this along this spectrum of feeling kindness, feeling not so kind. So you may be someone like me who maybe actually, you know, in in our intention, in our heart of hearts, we're actually pretty kind people, but uh, we've maybe not grown up in a in a um, an environment where we were shown how to express that well, or circumstances have kind of come to the contradictory and exactly Diana has just come to my next point so people the the other experience that is also probably familiar to all of us and maybe more of a major experience for some people is that we're we 're mostly kind, but it doesn't work you know so we can um we can behave in really kind ways and then we, we feel hurt or frustrated or just disappointed when it doesn't produce the effect that we want. And sometimes we feel taken advantage of, that people can take advantage of our kindness or just take it for granted, you know. And so we, we need to decouple the experience of being kind the experience of kindness from the results that our actions, speech, gestures might create. I've said this, you know, those of you who've heard me before will have heard me say this before, but there's something I heard, I think, from Ajahn Brahm, first of all, that many teachers will have said the same thing, that kindness is meta quality of loving kindness or friendliness or benevolence is not about saying uh, may you be happy in brackets so that I can be happy too that you're happy it's about um, you can be as grumpy and as horrible and as difficult as you like and I will still love you anyway which is a a taller ask, a bigger ask. But actually this is why happiness, why kindness is one of the Brahma Viharas, one of the sublime or blissful abidings, one of the heavenly abidings, because the heart that's feeling unconditional friendliness or unconditional kindness is happy. It's happy independent of the outcome of our kindness. So part of our learning is to to learn to decouple that intention, that activity, that even that upwelling in the heart of kindness, which is very much associated with generosity. Generosity is like the expression of kindness in action. And I don't mean generosity about giving stuff necessarily, but giving of ourselves, giving of our heart, giving of assistance from any result that might come from that, which is, of course, outside of our control. And this is where equanimity also comes into the picture. So I was thinking about my yin-yang symbol yesterday evening that I got really excited about, but then some of my uh, many thoughts that I've had about it over the last days, just kind of when you produce the thing, they start to evaporate, but thinking about um, how that you have that, that diagram where, where, the, where the, the fish shape or whatever it is comes to fullness. The circle in the middle of it starts to, some, something else starts to emerge in the middle. I was thinking about the times when life is really difficult. Maybe there's been a lot of loss or a lot of sadness, And somehow in the the presence of tremendous sadness or challenge or difficulty, this is where actually the seed of kindness starts to re-emerge or starts to emerge. The quality of kindness or compassion, which is what happens naturally when kindness meets suffering. When loving awareness encounters suffering and remains loving, this is compassion. And it reminded me, just thinking about that, reminded me of the poem that many of you will be deeply familiar with. But a friend of mine just reminded me of it the other day and was kind of celebrating it. And maybe I'll just read it to you, the poem by Naomi Shihab Nye about kindness. And just to see how kindness is found in the midst of really tremendous difficulties. Before you know what kindness really is, you must lose things. Feel the future dissolve in a moment like salt in a weakened broth. What you held in your hand what you counted and carefully saved. All this must go so you know how desolate the landscape can be between the regions of kindness. How you ride and ride, thinking the bus will never stop, the passengers eating maize and chicken will stare out of the window forever. Before you learn the tender gravity of kindness, You must travel where the Indian in the white poncho lies dead by the side of the road. You must see how this could be you, how he was someone who journeyed through the night with plans and the simple breath that kept him alive. Before you know kindness as the deepest thing inside, you must know sorrow as the other deepest thing. You must wake up with sorrow. You must speak to it till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows and you see the size of the cloth. Then it's only kindness that makes sense anymore. Only kindness that ties your shoes and sends you out into the day to mail letters and purchase bread or donuts only kindness that raises its head from the crowd of the world to say it's I you've been looking for and then goes with you everywhere like a shadow or a friend. So isn't it the case when we really open to sorrow, our own sorrow, the sorrow of the world. We do so with a soft heart that actually the experience of kindness, of compassion starts to grow. And there's a sweetness there. It has a sweet taste. And those two things can exist simultaneously. So we're back in this territory of hmm, the fact that these seeming contradictions coexist in experience. And if we swing for a moment, just let yourself swing in your imagination to the other end of the spectrum, when we encounter great good fortune, maybe those peak moments in our life, maybe when we just, maybe something like when we eat the best donut that we've ever eaten. And we need the next donut or we go looking for the next donut and it's not quite the same. We can't get that perfect experience back again. Or when we you know, find, find the person that we really love and at some point sooner or later even if they remain the person we love for the rest of our life, at some point sooner or later, we're going to lose them. When we have a success, a personal success or a professional success, and we want to sustain that or reduplicate it. So maybe I was having this conversation with my father a few weeks ago about the dukkha of the rare moments where I give a talk or a teaching where I feel that was really, that really worked, that was really expressing what I wanted to say. And people give enthusiastic feedback. And how stressful that is, because the next time you come to give a talk, you feel you've got to live up to that previous standard. And it's never the same. It's always difficult. And the more that one tries to do that, the worse it gets. And my father was sharing, he's, he's in nearly 80 now, but he was sharing an experience of work when he was in his 30s when he did something that really worked and was recognised and he was asked to do again in another context And then the the next time it didn't work out so much. And how we've all had this experience in big ways or little ways. So even in the moments of our highest success, there's some sense of poignancy because we we want them to repeat or to stay the same or hold on to them. And so what to do with those, those times of fullness or happiness and I think one of the things we can do is to be generous with our good fortune. And again, I don't necessarily mean, okay, we we we're giving away all our money now or whatever, but the gener- that generosity of heart and spirit that actually feels feels a sense of abundance and lets that spill out into the sharing of sharing of one's well-being with others in whatever way. Maybe it just gives us more energy to be kind, maybe we can spark some joy or in, some enjoyment in others. And we can we can appreciate our, we can be grateful for our good fortune. So then we're in the territory of mudita, of joy, one of the other manifestations or the other manifestations I've met, I've mentioned metta, Loving kindness or friendliness, compassion and equanimity. But the fourth facet of these qualities of the awake and responsive heart is mudita, or what's called appreciative joy, or sometimes altruistic joy. And I really, I really don't like that altruistic joy because it suggests I had an argument once with a retreatant on retreat about I was using the example of delight at the homemade pizza that had been cooked at lunch and and he said well it's only it's only real mudita if you don't have any of the pizza yourself if you enjoy if you enjoy other people's enjoyment of the pizza but you don't eat anything and I thought that's that's not how I understand mudita and then the thought came to me this morning as I was just thinking about this that actually maybe a nice way to think of it is that mudita is generous joy it's a, a joyfulness that celebrates the good fortune that's there, whether it's our own good fortune at others, and there's all that of others, and there's something generous about that. It's like, I don't need to hold on to this. I can let this overflow. I can share this with other people. And that way, when, it, when it's time for it to leave and something else happens, when the conditions change, we're free Somebody asked me a Dharma question the other week that I found really suddenly sparked an insight for myself. They were, they were saying, how do you practice generosity without becoming conceited, without it inflating you? And the, the answer or the thought came to me that the reason we can do that or the way that we can do that is to recognize that nothing actually belongs to us in the first place. Whatever is coming through us is flowing through us. It's not ours. We don't really own it. And so generosity is simply allowing well-being to flow through us and on to others. And ironically, when we do that, it's almost like the well-being amplifies itself. So this paradox that when we don't hold on to it, it grows. And when we try to hold on to it, it tends to shrink or recede from our grasp. So, one other thought, and then we can have a little stretch, and then I'm going to offer a, um, a guided metta meditation which is one that I've discovered a few months ago that I really love. And again, a few of you might have heard me do that before. Um, is about this image of, so this, oh, actually two things I wanted to share, sorry. One is because we've been, we've, we are really into, as you as you know, on this retreat, talking about vertical axes and uprightness and so forth. And the quality of trees, and there are a couple of lines at the beginning of the Buddha's teaching on loving kindness, the Metta Sutta, uh, that talk about both uprightness and flexibility. Uh, so the, the, um, well, an English translation that I like at the moment says, if you know what's truly good for you, and understand the possibility of reaching a state of perfect peace, then this is how you need to live. These are the opening lines of the Metta Sutta. Start as a capable person who's upright, really upright, gently spoken, flexible, and not conceited, so I really, I often talk about these, the word upright, really upright. The word in Pali is uju, U-J-U. And when we're, when we're standing in our balanced uprightness with a sense of dignity, whether that's physically or ethically, we've got this quality of uju, uprightness. And then the other quality that's mentioned is mudu, M-U-D-U, which means soft or flexible. And so I'm just struck that both those qualities are recommended in the cultivation of the loving heart. So that's something we can ponder, take into our practice. That speaks to us. Another thing which um, probably maybe allude to in the in the meditation, but because I never know quite what's going to come out of my mouth when I guide a meditation, I'll just also share this short thought at this point is, and maybe it's a tip for when we do uh, kindness practice. Meditatively, anyway. And this is from Bhikkhu who says, you know, we, we have this aspiration that just as in the in the texts it says that the way to practice metta is to radiate thoughts of goodwill in all directions to all beings. And so you can sit there and feel that you've got to kind of pump something out of your heart into the world around you. We're kind of pumping out this quality of kindness. And it can feel like quite an effort sometimes. And he says, rather than think of it like that, think as if that the quality of kindness, of warmth, of friendliness is there in the heart anyway. And when we radiate this in different directions, what we're doing is we're drawing back the curtains around the heart so that the natural light and warmth of the heart can start to shine. And it just may go a very little distance, depending on how well nourished or supported we're feeling at the moment. It might just go a little distance or it might go a little further or it might go further and further. What does our awareness, uh, what do we have the bandwidth to include in this field of meta at the moment We don't have to stretch ourselves beyond our capacity in any given circumstance. But there's just this sense of an unveiling of the heart. And then I had the thought that actually this is a lovely metaphor, the sense of the heart being like a sun, but there's just one little improvement or the tweak that I would make is that this quality of metta flows in two directions. So actually the practice of metta, and this is how we might move from one end of our spectrum of feeling no capacity for kindness at all in the moment to the capacity to be overflowing with kindness like a Mother Teresa or something. And we have these moments. Usually we're somewhere in the middle and sometimes more that away. (laughs) That... Maybe the first step when we're way down that really feeling really um, depleted or lacking a sense of capacity for kindness, if we just draw back the curtains around the heart, what we can do is we actually it, we take in the kindness of others. So it's also developing kindness is also about freeing up our capacity to receive kindness from one another. So it's like a a sun that works in two directions, if you like. The heart is something that can absorb warmth and light from others who have a surplus or a sufficiency of well-being at the moment. And as we do that, then our own starts to replenish itself and can give out again. At least this is what I've found. you know. Haven't we learned so much about kindness from the kindness that we've received from others? Okay, so those are just some thoughts on the subject. Be kind to your body if you'd like to stand and stretch for a moment. We'll just move around. Just take a couple of minutes and then I'll share this um, kindness practice that I enjoy at the moment. Okay, so when you're ready, come back to your meditation action stations. And I'm going to explain the practice to you before we actually do it. So you may want to do it lying down, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera, but I'm actually going to do a little screen share also at one point during my explanation. So you might want to be able to see your screen before you lie down. So I'm going to explain the practice and then, and then guide it for you. And again, a few of you will have done this with me recently because I've been doing it recently. So this is actually from a meditation teacher called William Bloom, who's based in Glastonbury, I believe. And he calls it an inner peace and healing meditation. But to me, it's a kindness meditation. Of course, those things are not separate things. And it has four steps to it. And when I offer this, just knowing that the meditative practice of developing kindness is something that is kind of unique to each of us and it's sort of like cooking cooking a cooking a nourishing meal. So I'm going to offer you this and you can take the bits of it that speak to you. And you can add your own ingredients from your ways of practicing meta that work for you or not, um, as as we go through the practice. But the stages involved in this this practice is first of all to just give yourself permission to completely relax, knowing that we know how to relax. So, as we've been doing we often do guide you into the meditation practice in a way that encourages you maybe walks through walks you through the body and invites you to relax and what he says which i think is a really interesting perspective to try out is that actually we know our bodies know we've been we've been doing this we've been tuning into our somatic intelligence your body knows how to relax how does it feel when you let yourself down into a your perfect warm bath Or you rest into your favourite armchair after a good walk or a good meal. Or you lie down in your favourite spot in the garden or your favourite place on holiday. You just bring something like that to mind where the body just goes, oh yes, I know. So you give yourself permission to really relax. That's the first step. the second step is to bring to your mind something that raises an inner smile, something that makes you happy when you think about it. It can be a donut. <laughs> it can be a friend or a teacher. It can be a beautiful tree in your garden. it can be your dog or your cat, your grandchild. Maybe not your child or your partner. That might get a little complicated. Something simple that raises a smile. And so before we do the meditation, you might like to just kind of bring something to mind. And, you know, we, we don't have to find the perfect thing, just something that's good enough. And you don't, once you've chosen one thing, you don't have to stick with it forevermore. And then the third thing, and this is where I want to share a picture with you, is the feeling that you have when you care for something that's vulnerable. It's if you were holding some small, vulnerable creature or a young child who's hurt themselves in your hands or in your arms. That feeling that we have of giving care to something that's vulnerable. And I just want to uh, share with you what I currently use in this image, as I was sharing it with Kirsten earlier and said, do you think it's too naff to share? And I decided I'm going to share it anyway. Uh, so on. okay. So this, this being lives outside or lives near my front door. And, uh, A few months ago, I was doing my chanting in the early morning and he or she, I'm not an ornithologist, flew in through my open door into my flat. And ever since then, he, she, they like to visit and come inside and hop around. And we've developed this kind of curious, mutually curious, inquisitive relationship. And I always, when I'm thinking of Holding something in my hands, I think of this robin. Kirsten was telling me that, according to George Monbiot, that robins are actually quite can be quite bullies, and so I was just saying, this is this is interesting how a perception, you know, a perception. Feeds the way that we that we um, relate to something, or we the way that we experience it. So we were just chuckling about that. But anyway, this this robin is partial to to uh, shrines and to Buddhist chanting, and I'm very fond of it. So that's what I bring to mind. But whatever speaks to you, you can bring to mind. So we allow ourselves to relax completely. We uh, think of something that makes us smile. We imagine um, caring for something small and vulnerable. And then we let that feeling of care, and this is where it maybe gets challenging for some of us, turn towards us. So if we can bring that feeling into our own body. And then the last step is simply to let yourself soak up any good feeling that you notice. So you start to replenish yourself, yourselves with this sense of care, tenderness and kindness. So that's all the meditation consists of. And of course, if you feel so inspired, then of course, what we can do is we can let that start to pervade for all around us. So we can we don't have to limit that um, soaking in or that feeling of kindness to this being here. It can extend so we could start to share that with the, the other beings in our dharma space or the beings around us where we are. So those are, that's what we'll play with now for a few, 20 minutes or so, and then we can have a break and come back again for the last part of our morning practice. Okay, so make yourself comfortable if you want to lie down or happy sitting as you are. And maybe as we do this, we can really have the sense that we're doing this together. That we're part of a whole that's greater than the sum of its parts. It's actually a field of kindness, of goodwill that we've established together that is an intercontinental field. Let's lean into that. So you can allow your eyes to close, if that's comfortable for you. And let yourself drop down into a sense of being at ease. The same feeling that you might have after a really good meal or a really good walk. as you sit down into your favourite chair or under your favourite tree or as you relax into a warm bath You might just feel the extent of the whole body is relaxing in this way, down to the tips of your toes. Feeling your feet and your toes. Feeling yourself in contact with the ground where you're in contact. Letting your whole body participate in this resting. You might feel the touch of clothing on your skin. Feel the gentle rhythmic movement of your breathing, of body being breathed. And just to help you Help us along. Let's take two or three just really soft, quiet breaths all the way down into the belly. And then slowly, gradually bring into awareness something that would make you smile. It can be something completely silly if you want. Something that raises an inner smile. Maybe your favourite moment from your favorite comedy series. Maybe a dear friend. Beautiful flower. Letting it come to your heart and mind and feeling that smile spreading. And take a few more soft, slow, silken breaths down into your belly. Now slowly and gently soften your eyes as if you were inviting a soft smile into the eyes. Imagine yourself with a small and vulnerable animal that needs your care. like a young bird that's fallen from the nest, or even a a young child who's tricked and hurt itself. And imagining that you could take this vulnerable creature into your hands and cradle it with soft hands. And that your eyes are soft and kind. Your heart is warm and open. Soft, kind eyes and a warm, open heart. And your attitude is caring and careful. And then slowly, slowly turn those same gentle eyes. That same warm, open heart. This caring and careful attitude towards this body being breathed. towards yourself as you sit or lie, stand or kneel. To the soft animal of your body, As you receive it in awareness with soft, kind eyes and a warm, open heart. This soft animal of your body with its thoughts and its feelings. With its sensitive mind. Holding it as it were. With tender hands. With kindly eyes. With a warm heart. With an attitude that's respectful, caring and careful. not to fix it, not to sort it out, just to care. However you are, I'm here for you. And if what happens as we do this, that some of the opposite feelings emerge in awareness. Seeing if we can hold those too with tender hands. Respectfully, with care. With kindly eyes, and then just noticing if anything in the doing of this practice feels good. If there's any Feeling of ease or enjoyment, however slight. Just letting yourself start to soak that up. Letting it soak into the cells of your body like a sponge soaking up water. if you were letting your body luxuriate in a warm bath. just letting yourself play with any of the pieces of this meditation that speak to you or bring in your own other skillful means and at any point that you feel that you're ready to allow this feeling to overflow to extend to others Just letting that happen, letting the warmth and the light of your heart just radiate out to whoever else, whichever other beings come to awareness. Letting our hearts hum together on this frequency of friendliness. And knowing that you can soak in that frequency from your fellow meditators, who may be extending their warmth and kindness towards you. So in a minute or two, I'll ring the bell. And take that as an opportunity to really listen in to what would best take care of this body, heart, and mind. We have about half an hour left of our morning practice time. And you may simply want to continue with your meditation. Or you may feel that it's more supportive to move for a bit or to even make yourself a cup of tea. And I suggest that we all come back together at 10 to the hour to finish our morning practice together. So when you hear the bell, just in an unhurried way, Making a choice if you want to about how to spend the next 20 minutes and then we'll come back together at 10 to the hour. Finding your way back to your seat, to your meditation place. Letting your body come to rest. Letting your heart come to rest in the body and your head come to rest in the heart. Trusting your ability to settle into the familiar gesture of your meditation. I like this word, gesture, rather than posture, because it suggests to me an act of offering. We take up a posture, but we make a gesture. We offer ourselves in some way. So offering yourself to this short practice. Letting the body, heart, mind show you what it needs. What it wants for you in terms of your attention and your care. And coming towards the end of our formal time of practice together for this morning. And of course, you're welcome to continue until your body, heart, mind says it's time to shift posture. But as we come to the end of our group practice, maybe just taking a moment again to appreciate the gift that you're giving to yourself and to others through your offering yourself in this way. And wishing that this practice be of benefit for each and every one of us and for the service of all beings everywhere with whom we're so intimately inextricably connected. And just to give voice to that wish, closing with a few rounds of the mantra Om Mani Padmi Hung. And you can either just let the sound vibrate out into the cosmos around us, or you might want to sound your voice along with mine, bring our voices together and radiate our friendly wishes in this way
2: oh, oh mani padme hum. oh, oh mani padme hum. me.